You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson beats. Jackson breaks tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Hello, and welcome to pod like a raven a lot of excitement in the booth this week after the ravens pull out the 30 to 16 win in seattle we've got a lot to talk about so much more good than bad this week compared to other weeks on the show and i've got the two best co-hosts to talk about that with me joined in the studio tim horsey tim feeling good seahawks who seahawks who The Baltimore Ravens are back. They're bringing back what we love about this team for so long, what we grew up with, getting it done when nobody counts on you, nobody thinks you can do it. You go into the lion's den, like Brian Billick used to say, you don't go soft-spoken, you go carrying a spear to kill the freaking thing. Screaming like a banshee. (laughs) Screaming like a banshee. And that is what they did on Sunday. I am fired up. I am ready to go. Let's talk some Ravens, baby. It was raining in Seattle. It's probably still raining in Seattle. But it is sunshine in Los Angeles, where our other co-host is joining us. Jace Evans, how you feeling? 
Yeah, I, to echo Tim's point, fired up. Most excited, I think, I've been about a Ravens win in a very long time. Um, Very excited to, uh, yeah, get a crack at, like you said, pretty much all good today, which is, uh, you know, Ravens going into the bye week, that's uh, that's what you want out of a show, I think. <laughs> the Ravens now 5-2 and two on the season, Take, taken by far their biggest signature win so far into the bye, which we're going to get into later on how how big of a positive that is for this team so let's break this game down i mean should we just start middle and end with lamar jackson no some defense gonna sprinkle that in too little running game also positive that that's also lamar jackson to be fair (laughs) so let's get into this game now let's start with the good the bad and the ugly let's just run through all of these good things that we have to talk about for this team this week Okay, I'll start. Uh, yeah, let's just start with, um, I'm going to call him Thanos from now on, because he's just going to say, fine, <laughs> I'll do it myself. Lamar frickin' Jackson. The, the crucial fourth down we'll get into. John Harbaugh, you want to go for it, Lamar? Hell yeah, I want to go for it, coach! Is the clip on, let's go. Is the clip on Twitter you've seen. He points at Marshall Yonda. You want to go for it? You think that boy's going to say no? Hell yeah, I want to go for it, Lamar! <laughs> this guy is clearly the leader of this team now at at. Only in his second year. It's his first full year starting, and the team trusts and relies on him. He knows when he has to put this team on his shoulders, he can do it. And guess what? They have full confidence that he can also be the guy to do it. It's not like, okay, we're going to kill him in this podcast, and I'm really sorry, but the comparison's there. Okay, Joe, can no. do it. We've seen it before. I don't know. I have full faith in Lamar Jackson, especially, you know, when his, his uh, receivers are catching the ball, something we'll get into a little <laughs> later in the podcast. Um, an absolutely standout welcome to the NFL performance. The, the entire narrative the first couple of weeks of the season, everybody loved watching Lamar Jackson. There was some MVP talk, which I think was a little ridiculous because of the teams they were playing. Then it kind of regressed a little bit. Well, you know, the Lamar haters started coming back on board. You got a little bit of this, oh, the Ravens can only beat the bad teams. Uh Uh-uh, uh-uh, not anymore. Russell Wilson and MVP? I don't think so. Meet Marcus Peters. Meet Marlon Humphrey. Meet this new and revamped Ravens defense, question mark? (laughs) Outside of all that, though, on the other side of the ball, Lamar went in this, this... Marquee quarterback matchup, which still is a weird thing to be a part of. Maybe we can talk about when the Baltimore Ravens are part of a marquee quarterback matchup, when everybody <laughs> wants to see the quarterbacks play, but when, when when the Ravens show up. But he outdueled Russell Wilson on Sunday. Outdueled Russell Wilson, Super Bowl winner, the favorite for MVP going in. It was an absolutely incredible performance. Um, and and look, look, if you watch that game, we'll give you the stats. We'll give you the facts. But you don't need him. You watch the guy. You watch how fired up he is. You know, one of my favorite plays here was Matt freaking Sakura, who I texted both of you at the time to say, leave him in Seattle on the delay of game. And Lamar is losing his mind, coming after him and was screaming at him when the delay of game happened. But then immediately goes to the other thing where he hits him on the helmet and says, we'll get him next time. Don't worry about it. He shows the passion. He shows the fire. But at the same time, he shows these leadership elements that I have never seen from an offensive player for the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, he's the takeaway for me. And like you said, Tim, I think you get so much more out of watching him than just the stats because I was kind of stunned. You know, you look at after the game and nine of 20 for 143 passing yards, but he made some awesome throws, huge third down conversion on the sideline to Hayden Hurst there. Uh, I believe that was on the drive that extended their lead. Um, 
he's just magnificent to watch. He's dynamic, uh, game breaking. Bobby Wagner, uh, all pro Seattle Seahawks linebacker, kind of the linchpin of their defense for the last half decade, said Lamar Jackson is one of one was something he said. And the Ravens have him and it's awesome to watch. And this I, I certainly the signature win of his career, I would say to this point, um, last year's win at uh, the Chargers was impressive because the Chargers were a good team. But this is a better performance. And he was mostly now and we'll get to the defense in a second. They did more than their best performance of the season, for sure. No doubt. Um, but Lamar Jackson went into a place uh that's insanely difficult to play and got the victory for the Ravens. And Look, you you can talk about the rushing yards. You can talk about the composure and you can talk about just defensive backs coming on the blitz. And it looks like, you know, he's roadrunner out there. Nobody's going to catch him. It doesn't matter. It, like you said, nine for 20, 143 yards. And then he had 14 carries for 116 yards in that crucial touchdown on fourth and two. Um, the, 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 the screaming, as we alluded to before to start this show. But what I loved, in the final two drives of this game, they took up 14 minutes and 26 seconds of the clock. Almost a full quarter of time, completely flipped the time of possession, which was a problem going into half. Not Over nine minutes on that last drive to, to basically ice this game outside of the defensive plays, which we'll talk about. Absolutely incredible. The amount of times that we have watched this team where, okay, guys, it's like a 10-point game or a 6-point game. You, you, you need to choose some clock here. Give the defense a rest. How many times have we said give the defense a rest and rest was not given to said defense? <laughs> this time it was absolutely given, and, and they came out strong, and a lot of it was because Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, the offensive line I thought played pretty well. They were able to, to stay on the field and wear down the Seahawks defense and come out of that and come out of CenturyLink with a win, which is, like you said, Jace, not something that a lot of teams do. You talk about the nine for twenty passing in a game that seems like was the was the best win of the season for the Ravens, and yet your quarterback only completes nine balls. A lot of drops in, in those eleven incompletions, a lot of plays that are not going to be called drops in the stats, but are balls that should be caught, two hands on the ball, uh, you know, on your shoelaces. But at a certain point, you had to just sort of forget, almost forget about Lamar's passing. And he just turned so many negative plays into first downs, into 20-yard runs, into third. I mean, there's there's more than three, four, five to talk about. You can't even pick one yeah. or two of these yeah. plays where it became just entire drives were just just let Lamar do what he's going to do and, like, good luck trying to tackle him. There's guys, there's, there was one play that sticks out in my mind, and I think it was in the second half, where he's rolling out to his left. Not his strong side, by the way. You know, it, it's tough to throw when, uh, for a right-handed quarterback when he's rolling out to his left. There's three Seahawks defenders around him and not one Raven. It's a five-yard loss with almost any other quarterback in the league. I, I'm talking Mahomes. I'm talking Wilson. I'm talking any one of these guys. That's a sack. It's a two-yard game. Whatever it is, it was a third down and six. He got like nine yards. <laughs> it's unbelievable. A good friend of mine, uh, Phil Schmidt, who is a Broncos fan, and we'll, we'll get to his team later in the show when we go around the NFL. Apologies <laughs> oh to him. He texted me and he said, that is, that's one of the most impressive performances I've seen from a quarterback in a long time. That was vintage Vic era and maybe even better. And you're talking about a guy, like you said, nine for 20, but he made the plays when it mattered. This, this is one where you don't necessarily look at the stats 
watch the game and and he turns it on when he really has to turn it on the whole you know the Thanos joke I'll do it myself he knows when this stuff has to be done and he makes it happen and it's it makes me so happy like I, I've <laughs> never had this emotion with the Ravens offense before it's incredible and some of these plays that he did make we can even go to the first drive I mean you talk about going on the road getting the ball first how important it is to get points even if it's a field goal and he had multiple completions to Boykin. Well, I, I, little shouts out to Boykin, yep. sort of the forgotten uh, receiver with Hollywood out these last few weeks. Boykin's come in and made some plays. He completes the 50-yard pass to Boykin on the mm-hmm. first drive. That ends up being a field goal. You're ahead. You're now in the situation where you can, you know, you're sort of playing to your strengths at this point. You're up. You're going to put pressure on the other team's quarterback. You're going to run the ball more. And then just from, from there, it just became his his runs. But so let's talk about some other positives on this team. Do you want to talk about uh, Ingram and the, and the rest of the running game before we switch over to the defense? Sure. Uh, we're gonna. This is going to be a broken record on this show, and I think Jason and I are kind of the same thing. Mark Ingram is the best. He rules. I love watching a guy. First of all, when you put the gold on the bottom of your cleats, anytime you're running, you're going to look super cool with the dark visor. <laughs> like, I'm all in on that. That's some, like, Madden 2006 custom player crap that I'm, like, all in for. But the guy doesn't go backwards it's a power runner through and through he had the the crucial fumble um against cleveland i believe which was a real uh, backbreaker but other than that has held on to the ball been very solid with that and it's consistently six yards when it should be three three yards when it should be no gain and that stuff adds up over time The, the numbers haven't been spectacular outside of you know the some playing the uh miami in the beginning of the season i don't think he's really I don't know how many times he's gone over 100 yards. 12 yards for 46, uh, 12 carries, excuse me, for 46 yards. And every one of them was hard earned. And it's it's awesome to see a guy like that as as a support system for Lamar, because, you know, we can wax poetic about him all we want. And he's he's wisdom beyond his years and maturity and leadership beyond his years and all this stuff. That doesn't happen if he doesn't have a guy like Mark Ingram behind him. And also just a shout out to. I've been talking a lot. I'll let you guys talk. I'm just very excited. I apologize. (laughs) Gus Bus Edwards, man. He had some crucial runs there at the end of the game. Those two final drives where they ate up almost 15 minutes of clock like we talked about. Gus ripped off some big runs, eight carries for 35 yards. Overall, an incredible performance. A total of 199 yards rushing on 35 carries, averaging 5.7 yards a carry. Uh, incredible from Greg Roman in the run game there. Well, you absolutely said it. Like, when you control the clock that much down the stretch, like, that's a good way to win in the NFL on the road. Um, And exactly what you said, they got, on those two late drives, they got Ingram going more than they had. They got the Gus bus rolling. The wheels on the Gus (laughs) go round and round. It was great. And, yeah, it was nice to see them kind of, you know, we, we I think entered this season really thinking the Ravens were going to be like a heavy uh, power rush kind of team. And they have run the ball very well. But uh, this, this was a game where, you know, you and, and Lamar Jackson, we'll get to the I, the specifics, I think, at the moment. But um, you got to keep the, the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. And that's what they did um, when it came time to win the game, ultimately. And there weren't too, too many. Outside of Lamar Jackson, there weren't too, too many big runs in the first half. A lot of it was grinding and getting those extra yards from Ingram, as, as Tim mentioned. 
But then late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, you start to see these holes open up. You start to see tacklers getting dragged a few more yards. And that's how this team has to win football games offensively, basically. When you're only completing nine passes, uh, the the goal you hope is that in running the ball so many times that eventually it's going to wear down a defense. And in a game that was rainy and gross, that's the perfect recipe to, to take down a team that should have beat you, frankly, uh, <laughs> playing in their home stadium. So now, we've been, we've been hating on this defense a little bit. The secondary was supposed to be this NFL record-breaking secondary in terms of personnel, in terms of depth, in terms of ability. A lot of mistakes in the first uh, month and a yeah. half of the season. First of all, there's a new guy on the team who <laughs> happened after our podcast last week. Yeah, that's fun. So we'll mention that as sure. well. Uh, and we're not going to pretend that he just sort of solved the entire riddle of, of the defense and of the secondary, but we got to give some props to the defense when they perform as they do. Almost outscored the Seahawks by themselves. So let's turn it to the defense now. Tim, you want to start with the secondary? You want to start with the line? Oh, you want to start man. with the, the defensive coordinator? Well, first of all, Wing Martindale's a legend. I just I love a guy who has a mullet, has the cutoff uh, cutoff sweater, and he's just gonna send the house. Bring it on, baby! Wink's gonna line up his big boys against your big boys, and we're gonna figure this crap out. The defense finally freaking showed up, and you talk about Marcus Peters. By the way, boomer bust type of guy is what everybody said. Kind of falling off a bit based on how good he was. Having a guy like that that can sort of for lack of a better term, shut down the other end compared to Marlon. Just having a competent NFL body on the other side made a world of difference. Marcus Peters, shouts out to him. Four targets, one reception, 25 yards, six points. That's for him. (laughs) That's a pick six for Marcus Peters, which was a horrible throw by Russell Wilson as well. And on that throw, like you said, just having someone competent out there, he very clearly baited Russell Wilson to throw that. You saw he sagged because he was pressed up, wet the snap, and then, you know... You uh, you're watching on TV and you see Russell Wilson go to throw it out and you're like, hey, where'd Marcus Peters go? And then he just comes sprinting into (laughs) into frame with the ball. Uh, Definitely not a good throw by Russell Wilson. His first interception of the year, we should say, went to the house in a a crucial moment, put the Ravens up 13 to 10. Uh, Yeah, I was impressed with Marcus Peters. And like you said, he is kind of a boomer bust guy. He uh, he can get beaten a lot. Um, But. No one has intercepted the ball more since he's entered the league in 2015. So, yeah, and that's what you get with a guy like that. You know, he's going to give up some big plays, but guess what? We were already giving up big plays. (laughs) I'll take the other end of it. I'll take the interceptions and the turnovers because it's something that this defense has sorely lacked for a couple years now. But we can talk about the secondary and those little guys flying around back there, all those speedsters. I want to talk about the boys up front. The defensive line and the linebackers. Brandon Williams played out of his skin in this game. Big number 98, chewing up the middle middle of the uh, offensive line, defensive line there in the trenches. And LJ Fort, take you behind the curtain. We mentioned that Antonio mentioned this before we started recording. The best tackler on the team already? <laughs> Caught he he I believe his tackle of Russell Wilson, when Wilson's wide open in space, there's two guys on the screen. Fort makes the tackle, which is incredibly hard to do, bringing that guy down in space. Um, was the only sack of the game. But guys that we've talked about for a long time and that we've been criti- critical of, you talk about a guy like Tyus Bowser, who Harbaugh pointed out in today's, or excuse me, Monday's press conference as being a guy who played exceptionally well. 
Sack Daddy Jalen Ferguson, <laughs> linebacker wearing number 45, played incredibly well. One of my favorite plays of the day. They're trying to run a stretch play and kind of seal off Ferguson, and he's trying to get to the outside. The tight end comes around on his outside shoulder, tries to seal him off. Ferguson takes him and pushes him back into the sideline about three yards diagonally and swallows up the wide receiver who was running the sweep route. One of the just pure dominance, I am better than you, and I am here to just hustle you. It was absolutely incredible. I loved what I saw from this defensive front. Um, They had eight quarterback hits. They had nine tackles for loss. Only the one sack, as we mentioned. One of the things I do worry about is they don't have that ace that even when they're constantly getting pressure, it seems like they're not going to have the guy that consistently bring the quarterback down. That being said, Wilson's incredibly hard to tackle, and he's very mobile back there. But just shouts out to the defensive front, everybody but Matt Judon, who still stays. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there was only one sack, as you said, Tim, but Russell Wilson bothered all game. He was frustrated. He thought, all game. He thought there were a lot of calls, a lot of, lot more uh, roughing yeah. the passer penalties he than should have been. He, he thought, had plenty. Yeah. And he went, If I think if people watching this game, if, they, if everybody was sort of asked individually, what do you think Russell Wilson's completion percentage was? I don't think you would guess under 50%. He went 20 for 41 on the day, which just shows you how harassed he was into having to scramble out of the pocket, make throws he didn't want to make, overthrow receivers, throw balls away uh, to prevent more sacks. So he was absolutely bothered all game with the pressure up front that you mentioned. I mean, yeah. nobody but nobody but Tyler Lockett. There was <laughs> nobody else there. Um, the next Tyler Lockett, five receptions, 61 yards. Jaron Brown was the next guy, three receptions for 60. DK Metcalf, who better than advertised in my opinion, I thought he was pretty good. He, he looks for a lot of flags. He's, he's one of those guys that's constantly throwing his hand up, looking for the pass interference. Like, shut up, DK. You just did, you didn't get open. That's your fault. Four receptions for 53 yards, and then just leaving that sweet, sweet ball laying on the turf for Marlon Humphrey to ice it and send, uh, send us home, I should say, with the win, not Seattle home. Um, I, it, it, was, it was something that we've talked about on this podcast for a long time. Of It was incredibly frustrating to grow up on defense and – have something that was so reliable, and they're kind of hyped up. You know, the pass rush was always going to be a question going into the season, but the secondary was supposed to be um, lights out, and then it was it was flat out not good enough and, and very, very disappointing through the first six weeks of the season. Week seven, baby, they showed up, and I, 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 I can't say enough about what Wink Martindale did. Not scared of bringing the pressure against the guy who everybody was talking about was going to win MVP this year already. Um, and and like you said, frustrated him all game. And long may it continue. Like let's hope this is not just a week one or a, a one week fluke. I should say. Yeah, Wilson under six yards per attempt uh, was actually um, pretty much a near full yard, over a full yard under what Lamar averaged. So he had twice as many attempts and um, only like a hundred more yards. So the Ravens were more efficient on offense. They limited Russell Wilson on defense. It was Hard to really complain too much about uh, what we witnessed yesterday. And one, one thing I do want to mention quickly about, the, not about this game necessarily, but just about this team uh, and this front office, DaCosta making now three major moves mm-hmm. on defense seven weeks into the season. That's so far, I would say he's three for, th- I mean, it's, it's early to say with, with Peters, obviously, but you like having him on the roster based Absolutely. on who was here before. Absolutely. Three new starters, basically, on this team that he's been able to pick up between Peters uh, in the secondary and then Fort and Bynes uh, in the linebacking core. 
just plugged in three starters without really giving up too much. He's lost Kenny Young and a couple of dra- one draft one pick, draft, a couple a of draft picks, round late pick. round picks, and he sort of saw in terms of personnel solved these massive holes. Uh, I'm waiting for him to pick up like an all-star pass rusher because a purple pass cool. rusher. That's the only thing that, that he hasn't done so far. But this is his first year uh, really taken over as GM. And so far he's drafted two wide receivers who could catch the ball. And then he's also just been able to resolve major personnel issues in the starting lineup. By the way, I should mention, too, that fifth-round pick that he traded away with Kenny Young for Marcus Peters was the pick they got for Minnesota for the kicker. In the preseason, who then Minnesota <laughs> cut like a week later. Kari Vedvik. Yes, thank you. Uh, couldn't remember the name off the top of my head. Another guy we got to mention, too. We've gone uh, just over 20 minutes in this podcast without mentioning him. Win it for Earl, baby. Win it for Earl Thomas. They Can we just sign a guy who was on the team? Can we find like an old Patriot and just get really motivated for him in two weeks when we play the Patriots on Sunday Night Football? Um, that was very cool to see. You can tell this team really... You know, you can you can play it up for the social media accounts and stuff, and you always take that with a grain of salt when it's coming from the team. But it looks like these guys legitimately really, really enjoy playing with each other, not just offensive and defensive locker rooms, but entire teams. It was Lamar Jackson. It was Marshall Yonda coming out and saying, we got this. We're going to win this for you. This is – they thought you were done. We know you're not done. We're going to show them you're not done type of stuff. It wasn't just the defense. And we've heard this in the past – the defense being very good and being frustrated with the offense, and it's kind of a segmented, not anything debilitating, but it's a little bit of a segmented locker room. That ain't the case anymore. They all rally around Harbaugh, who is, you know, for some of his faults, is absolutely a player's coach, as we talk about the that crucial fourth down that I don't think we gave enough credit to. He turned to Lamar and said, do you want to go for it? This isn't analytics John that we that we all love now. Guy who has to go for it on fourth because he he's crunched the numbers all of a sudden after, <laughs> what, d- d- 11 years in charge of the Ravens at this point. Um, he trusted his gut. He trusted his guys. And I think the guys rally around that. And, and this Earl Thomas storyline, who is beloved in Seattle but had an incredibly messy breakup with them, they went in there knowing they were on a mission for that guy. And it really, really showed – uh, I thought Thomas played pretty well, too. He had a crucial breakup in the end zone um, on – it was a kind of a double coverage throw, but Thomas made the play. And Thomas was the one who was kind of in shallow coverage, recognized it, and got on his horse and used <laughs> his recovery speed to catch up to it, which was absolutely incredible. I, I can't it, – it's interesting, you know, we're talking about this and we love Lamar and, and we'll wax poetic about Lamar um, some more, I'm sure, as we get, in, <laughs> get on later on the podcast because why stop talking about uh, a future MVP? Yeah, I'm going to say it. Uh, but for me, the defense was almost more impressive because of what we've seen in the past in, in this season and then the the overnight change that they brought against a very, very good offense in the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I think just to Antonio's point, too, I, I think you have to credit the front office for, you know, you would love to just have some, you know, these problem areas resolved going into the year, but... I, credit to them to be like this isn't working we need to make changes yep. and they made the changes and as you said lj fort has been great <laughs> so far josh bides has been solid uh since they picked him up um it was incredibly encouraging to see um 
I had a friend, uh, my friend Russell, he was not at this game specifically, but he's attended um, some games in the past at CenturyLink. And he said the crowd there, uh, how they get behind the Seahawks, he said it was it's something special to witness. And the Ravens, to be able to go into, you know, one of the toughest home fields in the league, um, deflate that crowd. And they'd never won there before. Only a few appearances in Seattle, but first win in Seattle is beautiful. It was a great thing to watch. Is perfect way to enter the bye. I, I know I'm fired up. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy to me. Lamar Jackson is, I think he's 22 years old. Is he 23? I don't even think he's that old. I think he's 22. 22 I think, yeah. And he he has poise on the road in a tough place to play in the rain against a good team. This is supposed to be the game that a quarterback like him who hasn't had a full season of starts is messing up play calls, is, is throwing interceptions, is having the play clock go down to zero three times in a row. We've seen Flacco do that in year four, year five, year six. Every year. <laughs> Seven, <laughs> eight, Thursday nine. Night. <laughs> and it, outside of that one delay of game, which he recognized the play yeah. clock and wanted the snap faster, he is, and this has happened through every game this season that I've noticed, he is so aware of so many different things at the same time. Even in between his like 30-yard runs, when you see him visibly out of breath, he's still calling the plays, getting the huddle, everything is organized, and he, and he really seems to know what he's doing. His most impressive game of the season, even with the, the lackluster passing numbers. Yeah, and another quick note on that, too, is something that I wanted to bring up about that final drive, and you're talking about the maturity. It's not even the, you know, oh, good, he's actually getting up to the line on time. Like, stuff that we probably should expect, even from a second-year guy that we just haven't seen from... <laughs> Hate to do it, but Mr. Joey Flacco, uh, now in Denver. But it was in that drive, he's taking that clock down to three, two, one, snapping the ball, the composure to be able to sit there and do that, get, get a guy in motion to see what coverages are there, recognizing things all under the play clock, and knowing how to manage the clock as well and waste the time because he knows he's got a lead. It was absolutely incredible, a very professional job done by Lamar in the offense, and the defense stood out. And, I mean, it was a complete game win. It probably – it's it's far and away their most impressive win of the season. Obviously not their biggest win by any stretch in terms of point differential, but no question their most impressive win and might be the most impressive one we see all year based on who they were playing, where they were playing, and how pretty much all elements came together and um, and got the win. So I'm going to talk about one play that I have jotted down here that I think has sort of been forgotten a little bit. The turning point is going to be that fourth and two where Harbaugh calls timeout, pulls the field goal team off, which we hadn't even haven't discussed yet so far, then brings the offense back out on the field to go for it. But on the drive prior to that, the score was 13 to 13. The Ravens at that point are just sort of hanging around, hanging around in a game that you thought at this point would they be down at least 7, 10, 14, <laughs> 21 points. But they're hanging around. Uh, and Seattle has a fourth and three at the Baltimore 35. And they go for the 53-yard field goal in the rain with a kicker who isn't Justin Tucker. <laughs> I don't think Harbaugh kicks it in that situation, especially not having Justin Tucker. I know this is sort of a ridiculous hypothetical sure. at this point, but... A lot of teams are going to go for it on fourth and three, uh, especially with the new analytics where you think going up by three is not going to win you the game that you need big scores. 
They go for that field goal and they miss the field goal, so they don't get the lead, they don't get any points, they lose the ball, and they give Baltimore excellent field position, which had been such a struggle in the first half and early in the third quarter. They kept getting the ball on their, like, 10, 12, and 15-yard line. And that they took the ball there, and that was the drive where they went and scored a touchdown on this fourth down, and all of a sudden they had pressure uh, on the Seahawks up by seven. But with that, I want to talk about, we talked about the pick six that already happened with Peters. Then there was another play that the defense made. We technically have uh, have Humphrey in the the bad this week, but made up for it at the end. So let's let's give a little a few minutes here to uh, Marlon Humphrey. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know, he talked about in the Pittsburgh game. He doesn't like lining up in the slot, but that's where Juju was, so he lined up in the slot a lot and and pretty much shut Juju out in that game. Obviously, Ru- Mason Rudolph and Duck, not Ben Roethlisberger in that game, but he lined up in the slot. A lot in the first half, and I didn't. And you correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't notice it as much in the second half, but I don't know if he was shadowing Lockett for most of the time, or even when Lockett was on the outside, they just they felt more comfortable putting Humphrey inside because they wanted Peters. Because Peters didn't really know the defense yet. I mean, right. he was just basically forced into playing a majority of the snaps. So they put him on the outside on his comfortable side and said, "Just get used to this, you know, man zone, whatever it is. We'll keep it simple for you over there." And Humphrey struggled, I think, in the first half especially. Um, which, you know what? If your best player is going to struggle, good day for the rest of the defense to show up, which they <laughs> finally did. Um, but I thought it was interesting that he, even when Lockett wasn't there, who was the, clearly the only threat throughout most of the game, I mean, Wilson just throws it up and Lockett finds it. It's, it's act- incredibly annoying to play against. But I thought that he kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't his best day, but again, this is a standard that we're putting on this guy of top three corner in the league now. So if he doesn't shut somebody down completely, we're going to call it kind of a little bit of a rough day. On the flip side of that, being able to recover that ball on the sidelines, stay in bounds when he's kind of tipping out of bounds, too. I thought he was going out, absolutely. Um, the guys on the call, too, and apologies. like Oh, Dick Stockton, Mark Schlereth, and Rodney Barber. Shouts out to him. An having, interesting trio. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen those guys in a while. I, I, I did enjoy their commentary. Dick Stockton's a legend. Uh, nice to hear him on a call. Um, they were immediately like, oh, he stepped out. He stepped out. There's no way. He stepped out. And you look, it's like, nope. He well, t- he did before. Yeah, he did before. And but, he reest- the, absolutely. The, the sense of the presence to reestablish before like, picking up the ball was... Which, by the way, for anybody, because I didn't know this watching this, they were like, he has to reestablish. He has to reestablish. I'm like, tell me what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But get get both feet back in bounds. He actually got before three. He got, yeah, ball. before he touches the ball. He got three feet in bounds um, before he grabbed the ball, and he was able to take it to the house. So when you don't show up on your best day, being able to make plays like that and, and ice that game effectively, that was finally the point where I was like, oh, my God. They're, they're, they're going to win this. Yeah, They're going to win this. And so – Credit to him for showing up, even when you're struggling, for lack of a better term, based on what he's done previously. I thought that was uh, incredibly respectful. Yeah, it's Admirable, been a, I should say. It, it's just been awesome to see him kind of develop. He's clearly the team's uh, defensive playmaker. He's had two interceptions, um, a touchdown, the the forced fumble on Juju with the recovery. Um, so like you said, it was not his best day. Lockett beat him deep a few times on the one touchdown kind of made him look a little silly where he drew a a DPI and then kind of seemingly sort of quit on the play. And, um, Tyler Lockett, um, scored a touchdown, the Seahawks first touchdown. And then another one where Lockett beat him deep on just a ridiculous toss by Russell Wilson. Um, but yeah, to bounce back from that and 
like you said, uh, we saw just um, in the Bengals game, you know, the Ravens weren't able to kind of seal the game and the defense did this week with a scoop and score. So that was awesome to see. I will say when uh, when the ball's bouncing your way in a season, you have multiple plays where a football could have easily gone out of bounds. And I'm talking about the juju play against the Steelers and this play that we just spoke about where uh, Humphrey returned it for a, a fumble recovery to touchdown in this game. Both of those plays, the ball could have easily been knocked out of bounds, mm-hmm. bounced out of bounds, and these are two plays in a row that they've just gone the Ravens' way, which they do not a lot of the time. <laughs> so we got a few a few minutes. we got to wrap up uh, this Ravens section. We've gone long for the recap because the Ravens are on a bye this week, so there's no preview. And uh, this was so fun! And it was a good, the perfect game to have more time to talk about um, without a game next week, so we've stretched this a little bit. A few more minutes. we got to get to the AFC North and the NFL, but... Couple of quick points you guys want to drop off about uh, about the ugly, some some ugly stuff that that happened in this game. Yeah, yeah. two quick things, real quickly. Pernell McPhee confirmed on Monday, out for the year with a torn tricep. It's the third Ravens defensive starter in a row, week 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 by week by week, to be knocked out of the year with an injury. Tony Jefferson, Deshaun Elliott, who was replacing Tony Jefferson, and now Pernell McPhee. Sucks to see. Um, the young guys did step up in terms of Ferguson and Bowser at that outside linebacker position. And all you can really say about that is long may it continue because, uh, you know, McPhee was having a pretty decent year. We kind of joked he didn't have any sacks uh, last season coming in. He's going to be the guy to lead the team um, in, in sacks and be like that pass rushing guy. He was doing that to an extent. Um, so missing him will be bad. And uh, Jace, I don't want to talk about the other one, so I'm going to let you handle it. <laughs> Our friend Mark Andrews had seemingly the worst game of his career on uh, Sunday. And really the only reason why Lamar Jackson wasn't around 13 of, or 14 for 20 even. Um, <laughs> I rewatched the uh, the condensed game today um, as we record. Mark Andrews had four different balls that hit his hands that you could argue he should have caught another one that would have been wiped out by a flag. So like five balls that he could have caught that just kind of didn't. Um, but three just outright drops. Um, and some, I mean, one was a touch would have been a touchdown on a really nice seam throw by Lamar Jackson. Um, it's disappointing. Uh, you know, it's a one-off, so I don't think it's anything to get too concerned about. But um, when you, especially with Marquise Brown out, when you say, this guy's our most reliable receiver, and then suddenly he can't catch the ball, <laughs> that's a problem for an offense that, is, you know, still isn't the most dynamic attack passing-wise at this point. Um, and he's kind of your guy you look to at the tight end position to catch those passes. And he just wasn't really doing it yesterday for the second half. At least. I also think he was banged up. Uh, we talked about this before we started recording that after he caught that deep ball in the first quarter, he landed on his back on his, maybe on the back of his head and he seemed hurt and maybe a little dazed. I'm not going to speculate about whether or not he was concussed or not, but after that, he sort of had a lot of these, a lot of these mistakes that I, th- I think he will sort out. Yeah. I mean, week. rain probably played a little bit of a factor too. Um, the worrying thing is you hope he don't doesn't have the yips. You know, he's he's been battling a foot injury a lot. I don't know how much that had come into play. Jace talks about that touchdown. I thought he scored. I, I live in a shoebox in Washington, D.C. I did the length of my apartment sprint. Oh, no. Thinking he had scored, flipping out, losing my mind, turned back around, and it's like it was second or third down, and I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Um, 
it's it's something that if it becomes more of a problem is going to be incredibly detrimental to this offense because one of Lamar's faults is he literally only looks at Andrews half the time. You know, it, when it's third and six, he's going to Mark Andrews or he's running out of the pocket. It seems like a lot of the time. So let's. I, I'm with you. I'm I'm not super concerned. He's proven. Time and time again that he's much better than that. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I, let's let's hope it's not as bad as it was yesterday. And with Hollywood Brown, reports are that he should be back uh, after Thank the bye. We'll be good to get another offensive playmaker on the field. I mean, I want to keep talking about this game, but we got to move on. <laughs> Any final little last uh, second things here? We'll go to the AFC North. Roughing the passer is the worst rule in the NFL, and it absolutely needs to change. <laughs> because guess what? I get that they're the stars of your league, and I hope this doesn't come back to bite me with our Lord and Savior, Lamar Jackson. Stop protecting them this much. It's a joke. It's football. They put on a helmet and pads, too. Like, you can't allow a guy, LJ Fort, to react like two-tenths of a second and supposed to pull up after going after Russell Wilson to create pressure. What are we supposed to do? Are we not supposed to blitz the quarterback anymore? Are we going to get rid of the best part of football, the offensive, defensive lines? What is, what is the point? It needs to be reevaluated because it's a freaking joke and it's ruining the game. Um, and, and referees still suck. That's just that's going to be a continuing theme the, the, across the entire NFL this weekend. They are absolutely atrocious. Uh, you know, get, make them full time, pay them what they want. I, I don't know how you fix it. Freaking fix it because it's, it's absolutely uh, just it's a joke. It's a joke. We I think have, that was uh, the uh, the inaugural edition of What's Bothering Tim. I was about to say <laughs> the same exact thing. We should have maybe given uh, a little What's Bothering Tim this week. Oh, there'll, but, be, uh, there'll be plenty of that. Don't worry. All right, so let's, let's wrap this up then. Moving on to the AFC North. In terms of headlines, there's not too, too much. The Steelers and the Browns were both on a bye this week. So the only thing that happened was the Ravens ex- extended their lead in the AFC North. They're now 5-2. and two. Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, both two and four. Cincinnati, oh boy, they lost another one in a game at home that they, at a certain point, had a lead and and could have probably won, but they let that one go late. They're now 0-7, so I I ask you, we've sort of talked about this uh, on a weekly basis, but um, how do you see this AFC North picture moving forward? The Browns will play the Steelers next week, so you think... Uh I mean, Patriots. excuse me, the Patriots next week. So you hope and assume they'll go to 2-5. and five. Uh, The Pittsburgh Steelers are playing the Miami Dolphins. So they're probably going to go to 3-4. and four. <laughs> So with that, looking ahead, what do we think about the, uh, the AFC North as a whole? Yeah, I, I think it's got to be, if you're the Ravens, the focus has to be on the Steelers. They, which is weird to say, given how dynamic we think Cleveland's offense is, but assuming they do lose to the Patriots, the Browns, Two and five is just such a big hole to climb out of. And with the Ravens at five and two, you know, that's a two and a half game lead. That's a lot to overcome. And we got head to head matchups with all these guys again. The Ravens do. Um, And the Steelers have a good defense. And I think that's 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 going to take them a long way. Um, Now, the Browns schedule is pretty easy down the stretch. So, yeah, that's certainly not that's the one thing I will say. If you look at all three teams, because. The Bengals are out of it. Rest in peace, Andy Dalton. Like, it was fun. <laughs> He's gone. The Red Rockets out of Cincinnati. But the Ravens clearly have the toughest schedule. Um, just in terms of notable opponents, versus the Patriots in two weeks after the bye, home to the Texans, away to the Rams, home to the Niners, at the Bills, 
um, who didn't look that great against Miami. We'll talk about those with picks. Good call, Jace. Um, so they could be spiraling out a little bit. And then you have the Browns and the Steelers again. I think it's a big help for the Ravens that they are already 3-1 and one in the division. That's going to be huge, I think, coming down the stretch. But that being said, I mean, it, the Pittsburgh still has, they have us at the bank at the end of the season. They have to go, or they play the Colts and they still play the Rams. Uh, they have the Browns twice, Cleveland obviously, Pittsburgh twice with that. Um, and they have the Bills and at the Patriots, as, as Antonio mentioned. So clearly the Ravens have the toughest schedule out of all of that. That being said, having this uh, right now, what, two-and-a-half game cushion because of the bye week right now is huge. And you're supposed to kind of get out, beat the teams you're supposed to beat, pull off a couple surprise wins, and guess what? We just went into Seattle and, and won at CenturyLink Field. Bring it on, Sean McVay. Come on, Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> like, I, I, I have so much more confidence in this team now going up against bigger opponents based on what I saw in that in and I don't think it's a fluke because of the team mentality. So look, I'm I'm the ultimate pessimist. I'm always gonna be pessimistic about this team. I still think the Steelers are a threat. Uh, I mentioned it before, buddy I work with is a big Steelers fan. He started laughing in my face when I said that. He said, No, we're <laughs> toast. Don't worry about it. You guys have got this on lock. But Pittsburgh is the one to watch for me, like because you said their defense, Jace. But um it feels really good to have a two-and-a-half game lead in the bye. And, and we can sit at home on Sunday and watch and know that our, our AFC North lead, at least at the moment, is nowhere under threat. I'm looking at the yeah, – Tim, you went over that Browns schedule. I mean, thank goodness they're probably going to be two and five because after that game – It's a cakewalk. Th- there are – if you were – I mean, you know, they've only won two games, but a lot of teams, I would say, could run the table – on that list, just on that list of opponents, how bad it is. But that's the whole thing. If they're two and five, they would possibly have to run the table to win the division at eleven and five, which is so obviously so unlikely. Two words: Freddie Kitchens. They're not going to run the table. <laughs> Pittsburgh. The thing I fall back on is that their quarterback isn't Ben Roethlisberger. Yep. That it's Mason Rudolph, who still is not. I don't think he's been officially uh, cleared to play, but he's. I think he's likely going to be the starter this week against against the Dolphins. If it were me, I'd probably rest him against the Dolphins and, and let your team win that game and then have them come back the week later. But the NFL is so hard week to week, so you sort of it's it's so easy to expect wins and expect you know comebacks and, and your uh your standings to sort of readjust as the season goes on. But until you have that win, you don't have that win. And I love the Ravens at five and two. The other thing about the AFC, I uh, the AFC North I want to bring up. Cincinnati, oh and seven. Still haven't won. Still technically challenging the Miami Dolphins for the number one overall pick. So I'm going to ask you both, do the Dolphins Do the Dolphins hang on to the number one pick? Does Cincinnati pose a big enough threat to also go 0-16? And my second part, the bigger part of this, let's say Cincinnati wins a game or two uh, and ends up with the number two pick. I think Tim, you, you may have uh, you may have given your answer already, but are they drafting a quarterback, and is this the end of Andy Dalton? Because it hasn't really been all on him. This is obviously a team that's undergoing a lot of change right now—new head coach, a lot of injuries, new systems. Are they drafting a, a quarterback of the future if they had the number one or number two spot? So, first of all, mark it on your calendars: December twenty-second, <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals travel to Miami. To play the Miami Dolphins in what could be a matchup of two 0-15 teams for the right <laughs> to draft a quarterback number one in the NFL draft. 
I, I mean, that's Is Goodell going to allow this game to happen? I that's like must-watch football. Flex it into Sunday night. That's the toilet bowl. Let's go. Um, but in all seriousness, yeah, I think I think there's just so much frustration with Andy Dalton at this point. I think they've kind of reached the peak, which was that first Saturday playoff game in the wild card round and then losing to the <laughs> Texans. Uh, I just I hate the Bengals, so sorry about it. But I, I kind of think that ever ever since that New Year's Day game, I can't I can't can't tolerate them. Trust me. I, I think his run is over. Whether he could get a job in say Chicago or somewhere that is desperate for any sort of talent at the quarterback position, I still think he's got a future in the league. But I think Cincinnati, under like you say, under a new head coach, this is the time to do the rebuild when you have a guy that's going to have a little bit of leeway. Uh, Jace, I turn to you in terms of college. I know Tua got hurt. Uh, Jace yeah, he, follows much more of the college football than we, than, than myself uh, than than I do personally. Uh, Tua did get hurt, the Alabama quarterback who was supposed to be the consensus number one overall pick. But I think there's a lot of quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, yeah, it should be. Um, well, I name you'll hear a ton is uh, Justin Herbert, the Oregon quarterbacks. A lot of people thought he might have actually been the first QB taken if he had come out last year. Um, he's more your, you know, right arm, six, six, uh, kind of Josh Allen looking, but more successful type, uh, quarterback, got rocket arm. Um, but to Antonio's question, the Bengals need so much help. They're just so bad at pretty much everything, but I think you probably, if you're in a position to draft a franchise quarterback, I think you have to, if you're them, just... And it's not even that Dalton's been that bad or like you said, none of this is really his fault. But apathy is just at, I think, an all time high in Cincinnati. I looked this up according to ESPN's uh, little kind of game cast tool. They were at 65 percent capacity um, for their game yesterday against the Jaguars. And obviously not like a thrilling matchup. Teams out six coming in. But if you're barely getting over half your stadium filled as an NFL team, that's a problem. And at this point, they just need to do anything, I think, to, um, you know, generate interest. And the number one way to do that in the NFL is to draft a franchise quarterback. So even if he sucks, uh, you know, you get a few years of interest. So, yeah, I think if they're in position to, you have to. Um, they're technically worse than the Dolphins right now if the season ended today because they haven't so had their sad. buys, so they have more losses than the Dolphins do. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll get our answers uh, to who's the worst team in the NFL, I think, uh, in that uh, that week 16 game. But yeah, because uh, it certainly seems like they might not have more than w- at least one win between the two of them going into that game. I thought. The Dolphins Redskins game was the tank ball. This is going to be the, the nope. tank Super Bowl. Yep. Andy Dalton <laughs> has, after this year, he has one more year left on his contract at $17.5 million as a base salary. I suppose that could be a situation where they draft, they could safely draft a quarterback, keep Dalton one more year, and, and, and let the backup learn in that year. And then right around week eight, week nine, when the boos get loud enough, suddenly the rookie quarterback <laughs> comes out onto the field. But. We will see. We will see what they do. Uh, it's possibly going to be a, a new quarterback that the Ravens will have to face twice a year. I'm gonna. I, I'd miss Andy Dalton though, even though he he hurt us a, f- a few times in, in his day. Anything else about the AFC North? I know we didn't talk about this for too too long, but um, with Pittsburgh and Cleveland on the bye, not much has changed aside from the Ravens <laughs> just winning another game. Anything else? Beautiful. Next up, NFL recap. 
some <laughs> I have a note here to talk about Joe Flacco. We have really just spent a lot of time on the show railing against him. But I, I watched him play on Thursday night against the Kansas City Chiefs, and he looked like a guy who was just cashing, just getting them checks, basically, just to getting them checks, professional athlete at this point. Missing receivers by steps, by yards. Uh, he threw a ball to uh, Lindsey uh, out of the backfield and basically just hung him out to dry. I mean, it was it was a pass where he <laughs> led him a few yards out of the backfield, and Lindsey got hammered and then jumped up and started yelling at Flacco uh, for basically getting him caught like that. I don't think Flacco ends the season as the starter on this team after only one season. Um, a lot of boos in that game against the Chiefs that they lost badly, even after Patrick Mahomes went out. So this is sort of my, my dual-pronged NFL topic here is uh, – the Patrick Mahomes knee injury. Uh, what do we What do we say? It was a dislocation of the kneecap. It was a patella. Yeah. <laughs> so he should be out. I believe I saw he's out a month. Yeah, something around that. I think. Uh, even yeah. though it was the best case scenario for him. So I just want to talk about another minute on Joe Flacco. Uh, he's tall. He's got a good arm. His hair gets better every season. But that that's about it for Joe. Yeah. Um, if I watched a decent amount of this game and. It's so sad because you could have made a supercut of the three fumbles, the one that he lost, the ten quarterback <laughs> hits, and the nine sacks, and just put Simon and Garfunkel under it. Hello, darkness, my old friend. It, it just seemed all too familiar. It was it, there was some, and I was seeing on Twitter during the game too, where everybody's like, "Oh, his offensive line is playing poorly," and some of like your quote smarter football guys are saying, "No, no, 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 no." Flacco is dropping back 11 to 12 yards. He's supposed to step up in the pocket. That The offensive tackles are instructed to let their guys rush up field and kind of corral them around the pocket. Flacco was just stepping back, and there was one where the tackles did their job, let both guys just sprint past him. They didn't notice that Flacco was 12 yards deep, and he got sandwiched by two Kansas City defenders. It's just it's sad because, look, as much as we do the bashing and the loving Lamar, I, I'm never going to sit here and take sides. I do not understand this whole – there's like a the contingent of Baltimore fans that want to take sides between Flacco and Lamar Jackson. I love the time with Joe Flacco. Well, but some of the time – a little bit there of the were. time with Joe Flacco. <laughs> this I, is I, like I a girlfriend that you sometimes loved and sometimes hated and got into a lot of fights with and then got back together with. <laughs> and like you remember the good times and you remember them fondly, but you also remember – the backside defender coming around and the lack of pocket awareness and the the strip fumble when we were when we were all in college we'd watch games together and it was like the same thing every single week here goes joe again fumble because he didn't see the guy coming from his blind does side. he see that guy coming off the edge no nope uh, so it's I just i can't believe troy palomalo would blitz like that <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's very it's really sad to see, um, and I feel bad for the Broncos fans too. I think, to your point, I think when Drew Locke comes, he's he's still hurt when he's healthy. You got to give him a shot at this point. Yeah. I mean, they're sitting at two and five. They're not catching some of the other teams in the AFC West, um, and see what he's got, and maybe move on from you know g- give him another shot, maybe in year two, and continue to build um, other areas of the offense and the defense and the rest of the team. But um, Joe's got a got a big old family. He's got, you know, he's got a ton of money from the Baltimore Ravens. You know, he loves going for chicken nuggets after Super Bowl wins and the famous story after getting paid as well. After getting paid, excuse me. Go enjoy your life, man. Come back. Be part of the Ravens ring of honor. I'd gladly accept him. 
as the most successful quarterback in Ravens history at this point until Lamar Jackson wins a couple Super Bowls and MVPs. Um, but it's the end came very quickly for him. And, and you just have to sum it up. They lost to Matt Moore. And a lot of that had to do with Joe Flacco. <laughs> yeah, it, he was good for a long time. I've always maintained he was, for the most part, unfairly maligned for yep. pretty much his whole career until about 2016, 2017, where you're like, well, this is this is kind of starting to be your fault, man. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, he was great for the Ravens for a long time. It certainly doesn't seem like he has it anymore, which is kind of sad. And I feel like he'll never be appreciated, I think, by, uh, you know, the NFL world on the outside, as he will be by Ravens fans, because, you know, we were we remember Cam Cameron being the offensive coordinator and, uh, you know, outside of your Anquan Bolden's here and Torrey Smith, not the most loaded offense of weapons and sometimes questionable line play. And he was good for a long time, and but he's not anymore. And that's OK, too. He's had a 12 season career at this point. Um, like you said, won a Super Bowl MVP, made a ton of money. Um, won a lot of games, but yeah, when Drew Locke's healthy, um, the Broncos have a lot of problems that go well beyond, um, Joe Flacco and start at number one with John Elway. Um, but, uh, once Locke's healthy, you just have to see what you have because they can't, they can't go forward with like, that was, that was embarrassing for them on, uh, especially like you said, against a Matt Moore team where the Chiefs never really, did much <laughs> in the part of the game I was watching. And yet the Broncos, they were just like, well, if we run it three times, the Broncos aren't getting yards. So, and that was kind of the entire fourth quarter. So it was embarrassing by the Broncos. And yeah, you wish Joe the best, but it seems like it's the end for sure. Another NFL note. We, we talked about this team and this player a bit, a bit last week about how they were sort of quietly uh, five and one. Now they're six and one. And I'm talking about the green Bay Packers 42, 24 win against the Oakland Raiders, Aaron Rodgers, 25 of 31 for 429 yards, five passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown, may have been the best game of his career. Uh, the Packers, at this point, now 6-1, and one, are they the uh, the NFC favorites now? Have they supplanted uh, the New Orleans Saints? No, not in my, in my opinion, no. Um, I think or, excuse me, the San Francisco 49ers, who are also 6-0 and after their horrendous <laughs> victory in, uh, in Landover, Maryland. But go ahead. Tom. Yeah, yeah, in Landover. Thank you. Uh, Distinguisher from the place where we live, because I don't want to be affiliated with that trash. Um, but it, I think I still think the Saints are very good. I think Teddy Bridgewater is getting better and better. Um, and then, yeah, guess what? Drew Brees can come back whenever he's healthy and ready to go. Their defense is unbelievable. Um, absolutely eviscerated the Chicago Bears, who have their own troubles, too. I mean, the, the Chicago Bears have an incredibly vaunted defense. Teddy Two Gloves goes 23, 23 for 38, 281 yards, two touchdowns. They rush for 151 yards on 35 attempts and two more touchdowns as well. Um, New Orleans just, for lack of a better term, took them behind the woodshed, and they're sitting at 6-1. and one. Um, I think that that is the team to beat in the NFC, in my personal opinion, that being said, and as Jace has pointed out a couple of times in this podcast, one of his favorite players to watch in the NFL currently, Aaron Rodgers, can't ever count that guy out. And um, it seems like he at least doesn't hate his coach now, so that's good. <laughs> and, you know, that's a guy that you don't want to – regardless of records, 
Come January, it sounds cliche, he might be the number one guy in the NFL you don't want to see on the opposing sideline um, outside of Tom Brady, I would say. But maybe even at this point over Tom Brady, who is looking a little older, although at time of recording they are absolutely destroying the New York Jets. Um, He's the one guy, especially in the NFC, that you would fear. So absolutely a contender, but I wouldn't put him in that number one spot quite yet. Yeah, I think I'd still probably... Same thing, Antonio. Put the Saints slightly ahead, just because I think we. I think we have to assume their ceiling rises even higher when Drew Brees gets in there, and Teddy Bridgewater probably earned himself, you know, a full time gig somewhere. Be it maybe the Saints in a year or two, even because Drew Brees is forty years old now. But um, yeah, their defense is so good. But like Tim said. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is great. It was the first perfect passer rating of his career uh, yesterday. Um, You literally couldn't play better, according to the math nerds who make that formula. Um, uh, So nerds and and the Packers defense is better than it's been in a long time. Um, I have the 49ers, I think, just a hair below um, those two teams in the NFC. Uh, just based on, I don't know how high the ceiling of their offense is. Their receiving core isn't the greatest. Um, and, and regardless of conditions, you probably want to win more than 9 nothing against the Redskins. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, Saints-Packers, if that ends up being the NFC title game, that would be um, an incredible watch. The NFC just top to bottom is so much better. The Vikings are seem to be very good. Kirk Cousins actually leads the league in passer rating right now. Um <laughs> I heard uh, on, I believe, Cousin Sal on Bill Simmons' podcast mentioned that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, it's uh, it's kind of incredible how the disparity, but I will go Saints 1, Packers 2. Tim, you mentioned those Saints rushing numbers, 151 yards against the Bears without Alvin Kamara. Without Alvin Kamara, he yeah, thank out, you. And yep. he will come back. So that offense is only going to get deeper and, and stronger. Another team I want to discuss, the Rams. After those three consecutive losses, they get back on track with a big win against the Atlanta Falcons. So not the <laughs> toughest of matchups, but in Atlanta, 37-10. to Jared Goff looked a lot better. You're going to look better when you play a weaker opponent. But are, are, have the Rams gotten back on track, Jace? Have they, I, as our West Coast correspondent, uh, <laughs> we, we ask you the questions about the Rams because we pretend that you follow the Rams closer than anybody else. Are they back on track, you think, or or just uh, playing a bad team? Uh, yeah, I, well, they certainly, you're encouraged when a team goes out and takes care of business, but uh, the Falcons are a week from firing Dan Quinn. It seems like their bye week is after this week's game, which I think we'll t- uh, end up talking about in our gambling segment here. Um, but a, uh, it, it's encouraging to have the response, especially after, you know, the struggles Jared Goff has been having to take care of business on the road, west to east. It's never easy. Um, and they went and took care of business. So I think you're encouraged if you're the Rams fans. Uh, just, you know, kind of a return to normalcy. But I think it speaks much more to just the depths the Falcons have fallen to. Um, they're they're one in six, which is inexplicable. The Falcons are a dumpster fire. I don't care. Like, come on. The Rams are fine. <laughs> But the highlight of the game was watching Aaron Donald almost kill a man for punching him in the face with Devontae Freeman, who he legitimately 
picked up off the ground, and Freeman was trying to run like a little kid that you pick up after they were running away stealing a cookie out of the cookie jar. It was absolutely ridiculous. The, the Rams, fine. I, I still am nervous about going to L.A. and playing and playing them. You know, from a Ravens point of view, but I do not take a lot of out of them whooping up on a team that has clearly quit on their coach. And, I mean, you say he's a week away from being fired. He should have been fired a month ago. I mean, this is an absolute <laughs> joke. They they could legitimately, with Matt Ryan at quarterback and talent all over the field or supposed talent all over the field, they could be in the conversation for the number one pick. They certainly are right now at one and six. Absolutely ridiculous. I'm looking at the Rams' schedule. First of all, the NFC West is fascinating. You have San Francisco at 6-0. and Seattle now five and two, the Rams at four and three, and then Arizona Cardinals three three and one right behind them. Uh, I think you will probably see two teams out of the NFC West going to the playoffs, maybe even three, depending on how things shake out. But the Rams next few weeks uh, at home against the Bengals, at Pittsburgh, at home against the Bears, who look more and more beatable every week, and then that Ravens game at night Monday night. Uh, so we may see the Rams at seven and three coming coming into, or I should say, with the Ravens going into there to play them. So we will see. But any last uh, notes about the NFL as a whole? Yeah, one one final one that I I watched a lot of this uh, game on Sunday night. Um, I was very high on the Eagles, and That's a good point. wow, injuries are bad, but. They were talking a bunch of trash. Doug Peterson said they were absolutely going to win this game the previous week. And they went out and, um, you know, for lack of a better term, laid an egg in Dallas. 37-10 <laughs> uh, to 10 the final score. I, I've, I've told this story before. You know, if I had to pick a second team, I don't have a second team in the NFL. If I had to pick one just based on uh, some people in my childhood growing up, it would be the Dallas Cowboys. So it was cool to see them kind of go out and, and, and show out. But... Philly's got a ton of injuries, but then you see the the um, who was it Nelson Aguilar do the alligator arms on the one catch deep when he's wide open, just pulled up. Alshon Jeffrey is reportedly the rat, and who is the one going out in the media and is the undisclosed source in the media saying there's a bunch of trouble with uh, Doug Peterson and some of the players, and that there's infighting and all this stuff. Injuries are a problem for the Eagles, but man, they were absolutely embarrassed, and I beg you there is a viral video on twitter going around right now of an eagles fan being interviewed i'm, I'm assuming in philly um by a by a local journalist and he is like huge eagles fan and he's crying but it's not like it's just a little bit but it's enough to like depress you and then the reporter <laughs> you, you can find it on twitter it's it's easy it's very easy to find i might post it at tim horsey so people can see it it's he has a hat with a, a bird on it and she's like come on give me one final cheer for the eagles and like trying to make him happier because he's clearly distraught and he like flips a switch on this hat and the bird starts flapping and he goes fly eagles fly <laughs> it's the most depressing hilarious thing i've ever seen in my entire life uh, give that i mean twitter's just the best for that type of content but yeah I'm very shocked i picked the eagles over i mentioned this last week as well i can't remember exactly what the total was uh, they're not going to hit that because they stink. And um, Dallas, who knows? The NFC East <laughs> is kind of a weird division as well. Um, a, a little bit like the AFC North, I think it's kind of one of the weaker divisions. Cowboys four and three, Eagles three and four, Giants two and five, and uh, those Washington Redskins are one and six. So 
you know, the Eagles still have a chance there, but they got to figure some stuff out quick. That Eagles number nine and a half. Yeah, and I was very confident that they were going to hit that well over, and that doesn't look like it right now. Well, let's move on now. Uh, this is a little sex segment that we 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 teased out earlier that maybe at some point we'll give we'll give Tim a few minutes uh, based on the week, but it's a segment that we call "What's Bothering Jace," uh, and it's basically where we ask Jace what's bothering him, and we let him go on a few minute uh, few minute rant. Uh, as he is uh, known to do uh, off air, so we give him some space on air. <laughs> so, uh, Jace, I ask you this week, with a lot of positivity uh, around the Ravens after their win against the Seahawks, so maybe you'll go uh, away from the Ravens this week and the NFL. So, what's bothering Jace? The Los Angeles Chargers are the most magical team in the NFL. They got the ball. They had four four uh, snaps, uh, three actual plays in a first and goal situation after it appeared that uh, Austin Eckler might have gotten in to the end zone. He did not. They rolled it down, tried to run it with Melvin Gordon, initially ruled a touchdown. They review it short. Again, I should preface this. The score is 23-20, Tennessee Titans, and the Chargers have the ball with 40 seconds to go on the one-yard line. If you're most teams, how do you think this ends? Worst case scenario, you go to overtime. Best case scenario, you win the game in the final minute. The Chargers lost this game, 23-20. to 20, And it came as a result of after two reviews determined they did not, in fact, cross the goal line. Melvin Gordon, who may have initiated the least successful holdout in NFL history, uh, fumbled the football into the end zone. The Titans recover. The game ends. It's the 70th failed fourth quarter comeback of Philip Rivers' career. <laughs> it's a stat I saw via Scott Kazmar on Twitter. Say that again? Uh, his 70th failed fourth quarter comeback. 7-0. Uh, 7-0? His 70th failed fourth quarter comeback. So, like, basically that's when he has the ball, like, down seven in the fourth quarter. <laughs> um, uh, the Chargers are 2-5. and five. They've lost every game by one score. Um... It's it's insane how this team like we were at work. Literally, we all made the joke. We're like, haha, it'd be funny if the Chargers lost this game. And then they did. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they keep doing it. And um, the ringers, Roger Sherman, had this incredible stat. So they ran it twice on the one yard line with Melvin Gordon. The second time he fumbled. Um, but a lot of times, you know, you see a QB sneak in this situation. This stat blew me away. So, again, credit Roger Sherman. Uh, Philip Rivers has only one carry on third and f- or fourth and one since 2011, and he's never scored a touchdown on a QB sneak. Now, we all know that Philip Rivers isn't exactly a running QB, but, like, at some point, Joe Flacco, you know, off-mentioned guy, has something like 25 rushing touchdowns in his career. It's not that hard to just kind of lean forward for a yard. Tom Brady's the best at QB sneaks of all time. Philip Rivers, I was not aware, just doesn't do it. And so they tried to run it twice with their back who wanted a ton of money, and he fumbled, and they didn't even force overtime. They lost just outright in regulation, 23-20. It was magical. Um, so I don't know if this is so much what's bothering me this week, but just uh, more of I'm baffled by this team's continued existence and everything they do. Um, they lose games like this all the time. It's become a meme. And I guess if they had more fans, that would be unfortunate for them, but they don't. Um, but yeah, so the Chargers this week's uh, how do you lose that game is what's bothering me. 
I'm looking at the uh, the play-by-play. The Chargers had the ball. First of all, they had it first and goal at the Tennessee 1 with 39 <laughs> seconds. And what is the first thing they do is have a false start and go back to the 5. Nice. So that's perfect. Then they get a gift on an incomplete pass on first down. There's pass defensive pass interference. So the ball goes right back to the 1-yard line. And then they, <laughs> with 34 seconds, they decide to run it twice. Uh and do not score on either attempt and lose the ball on second down. That was what's bothering Jace. And uh, for, first of all, I like you going off Ravens. I like you, you tackling something else. <laughs> There's nothing to bother him about the Ravens and the game. Ch- <laughs> the Chargers <laughs> just being the Chargers once again. Let's move on to our next segment of Random Ravens. It's Tim Horsey's turn this week. Tim, he has been ta- he's been talking up this pick. Yeah. Uh, just that it's a good one. Not even that it's easy or, or hard or anything like that, but just that it's a good pick. So I'm dying to hear who you got. So, Tim, let's uh, let's go through your random Raven this week. Yeah, I was very infuriated by Kerry Williams. And then, oh, sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> take you behind the curtain, <laughs> forgot until about a couple hours before recording that it was my turn. So then went, oh, crap, <laughs> I need to think of somebody. Found somebody else, didn't get enough great clues on that person. So then I fa- then all of a sudden this person sparked into my head, and I was like, oh, my gosh. That being said, it is very random, so I've these these clues are very detailed. So I, I, I'm giving you a fighting chance here. Number one, I was drafted in the fourth round of the 2003 NFL Draft. Oh, boy. Listen to this. This is a little confusing. I was the second player at my position selected in Baltimore's franchise history at that time. At that time, he was only the second player they had picked at that position. In Ravens history. In the 2004 th- draft, is that what you said? He was drafted in 2003. So from 96 okay. to 2003, they only drafted two of a player at this position. I played for the Ravens and one other team in my nine-year career. There's a little caveat here. I did sign for a third team at the end of my career, but was cut before the season started, so don't really count that one. I was a second-team All-Pro in 2006, my last season in Baltimore. The Ravens have 12 All-Pros in 2006. How did, how did that, was that the same year that, that B.J. Was, Sams that, was the... That team should have won the Super Bowl. I, I will die on that hill. <laughs> when I left the Ravens, and this is just a caveat to that clue, I'm giving, I'm giving you a lot here. When I left the Ravens, I signed the largest contract for a player at my position in NFL history. At that time. The man I was the lead blocker for in 2006 also left the same offseason I did, signing for the Cleveland Browns. Well, that has narrowed it down, but I, I'm not signed. I'm not. I'll admit I don't have any names yet. Final but. one here. Other players, and this is my favorite clue, other players in Ravens history who <laughs> wore the same number as me include Lorenzo Taliaferro, Bobby Rainey, and Ricky Williams, who I forgot played for the Baltimore Ravens. (laughs) So I will read those out at the end again. We'll read them out at the end again, but but stew on that. So I got the number, (laughs) at least. (laughs) The number and the position and the Ravens. I got got those three things down. It might have gone a little bit down on the deep Hmm. end here. Hmm. Lead blocking for the guy who then went to the Browns. So we'll, we'll let this go. I'll, I'll do some of my thought process at the end. So let's move on. Fair enough. For now. Uh, last thing before we answer Random Ravens is a couple of gambling lines to go over. Things that we got, lines that we like this week 
no Ravens game, obviously, so we each have a few picks outside of the Ravens that we like. Which, by the way, all three of us, I think, happily lost our Ravens pick last week. <laughs> happily. All of us expected sort of that 7 to 10 point loss uh, with that line being 3.5. And, and I think it ended up dropping to 3 by, by game time. But didn't matter because the Ravens won that by double digits. So for this week, a couple of lines that I like, uh, and then I'll, tee, I'll, I'll toss to you. I shouldn't say I'll tease to you guys. I'll toss to you guys. But I am going to tease two games, uh, and that's Green Bay are four-and-a-half-point favorites at Kansas City without Patrick Mahomes. I'm intrigued by this pick uh, just by itself because I watched Matt Moore play in the second half of that Chiefs game, and it was not great. He made one throw uh, to Tyreek Hill that then went for a touchdown because it's a throw to Tyreek Hill. But over a a 60-minute game, I do not think he's going to keep up with Aaron Rodgers. So... Uh, that's a tantalizing line, but I'm going to tease it uh, down to Green Bay plus one and a half. Oh, jeez. And I'm going to tease that with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, they're currently six-point favorites against the Denver against those Joe Flacco-led Denver Broncos. Uh, Joe, not looking good. Did not look good at home. This is a road game. Indianapolis has been so solid. I have sort of gone against Indianapolis week by week, and I've been wrong a lot. They look really, really strong. Uh, so I'm going to tease that Indy line down to a pick 'em, and I'm going to put those two games together, and uh, I'm going to ride that. And that, that's my that's my combo pick for this week. I love that, and I'm with you uh, at least in terms of I, I'm just going to outright take the Green Bay minus four point five. We just watched Aaron Rodgers have a perfect game, perfect passer rating, six touchdowns, and now he's not going to beat Matt Moore by five points, I don't say it. So I'm just taking the Packers um, on that one. Um, two other, I guess, games I have. Do you, or should I get into all my games here? Yeah, go for it. So two other games I have. We have um, our, uh, our friend Kyler Murray, the number one overall pick in the draft for the suddenly uh, – three-game winning streak uh, Cardinals, which they only won three games last year, so good for them. But they're going to the Louisiana Superdome, where they are nine-and-a-half-point underdogs. I love the Saints. Rookie QB in the Dome. That defense haven't really beat anyone especially impressive in this run. Uh, I like the Saints at minus 9.5. And then my last pick, and um, this one's a little up in the air due to Matt Ryan's health. But the team, the Ravens, or actually, I audibled. I'm sorry. I was th- I was very much looking at that uh, Seahawks game. But the uh, um, the uh, final game I have is, and I know I just uh, went on a diatribe <laughs> against them. The Los Angeles Chargers, <laughs> four and a half point underdogs. You can't quit them at the Chicago Bears. Um. We can't have Mitch Trubisky favored by um, almost five points. points. <laughs> yeah. Or really just favored in a game, period. Um, so despite uh, all I said about the Chargers, I like them in this spot because I just do not trust Mitch Trubisky at present time. Um, the fans hate his guts. Uh, they're playing in Chicago. It just doesn't seem like it'll be a, uh, a great finish. Um for them. Yeah. And real quickly, my picks here, because I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. 
Um, I don't have Green Bay, but I think that is an incredible pick. Um, neither one of you mentioned the Chiefs defense, which is Swiss cheese. It's no good, and Aaron Rodgers is going there. Swiss Chiefs. Think that, that, um, I have Seattle going to Atlanta. They are three-and-a-half-point uh, favorites. Love I know oh, you know, having a road team as the favorite isn't always the best idea, but I think Seattle is going to be pissed off after losing to the uh, Baltimore Ravens last week. And Atlanta, like, like we've mentioned, Dan Quinn should have been fired already. The team has quit on him. <laughs> Um, and Seattle's going to go in there and I think whoop up on the Falcons. So I'll give me Seattle minus three and a half. I uh, love Indy minus six at Denver. I mean, one more time. Sorry, bud. Joe's toast. And Indy might be the surprise of the year. You know, I, I, they are legit good. You know, I, th- I think everybody thought Brissett was going to be serviceable. He's legit good. And Frank Reich, legit good. Uh, minus six at Denver. Give me Indy all day. Another uh, road favorite, which, you know. It is maybe not the the best thing ever, but those lines just look too appealing to me. And last one, I talked about the L.A. Rams before. They're at home. They're playing Cincinnati, and it's a single-digit spread. That's all I have to say. L.A. Rams minus nine at home to Cincinnati. I love that one, too. There's a lot of lines I love, which means I'm going to stay away from all of them because there's (laughs) no way they're all going to work out. The... You, know, you talk about the Eagles. They lost to the Falcons. Yeah. That's the one win that the yep. Falcons have this year is against the Eagles in a game that I think Philadelphia should have won yep. three or four different times. Uh, so those are our lines for this week. So they're all going to be 100% accurate, just like they are every single week, oh, yeah, except absolutely. for every other week that we've done them. So we're going to close up now. We're going to answer our random Raven. Uh, and then next week we will come in with our preview of the Ravens hosting the New England Patriots. I've been holding my hot takes. I said last week I was going to come in with so many hot takes about that game, but then I realized it was after the bye. So I'm going to put them in a can and then just save them for next week about how well the Ravens are going to play against them. But anyway, uh, let's close this up now. So, Tim, Random Raven, let's go through. Can you go through your, your clues? I've come up with a name. I don't love it, but I've come up with a name that I think had this number. Okay. And that's what's, what I'm just going to ride. But can you go through the, uh, sure, the clues? Sure, yeah. So, again, drafted in the fourth round of the 2003 NFL draft. At the time, the second player at my position, I always do this in first person, my position selected in Baltimore's franchise history. The second player at my position selected in Baltimore's franchise history at the time, played for the Ravens and one other team in his nine-year career, so only two teams there. Second team All-Pro in 2006, my last season in Baltimore. When I left the Ravens, I signed the largest contract for a player at my position in NFL history. Again, at that time, I believe it's been broken now. Uh, The man I was the lead blocker for in 2006 also left the same offseason as I did, signing for the Cleveland Browns. And other players in Ravens history who wore the same number as me, which, by the way, is going to be a clue I use all the time because I love it, include Lorenzo Taliaferro. Bobby Rainey and Bobby. Yeah, Bobby Rainey. Not a lot of guys wore this number. And Ricky Williams. So those are your five clues there. Uh, let so, me start. Okay, go through your go through your process and then we'll and then we'll do picks here. So the back, so this is a fullback. Yeah, it's a fullback. I the know back, that. The running back you're talking about is Jamal Lewis. Yep. Uh, the number, I'm a little uh proud of myself that when you were listing the players. You said Talia Farrow, yeah. and I said, I think that's number 34. Yeah. And then you said Ricky Williams. I said, well, now I know it's 34. <laughs> yep. That's the one that I got. I um, didn't remember what Tal Farrow wore. And we're... T- 
Jace? I could think of one fullback from that era, and that's well, the one that my guess you is. Got, you guys should know that I have, if you don't know and listen to this podcast, I love fullbacks. <laughs> Pretty much my favorite well, position on the field. Um, I could probably list all the Ravens fullbacks, which is sad, but, you know. What else am I going to I wanted to learn? say it was uh, Lorenzo Neal, but we didn't draft him. No, that's not uh, a, that was a I charger, thought it was too early, probably, for him. And I, the number didn't match up. But that was like the only name I could think of from like sort of that Did era. we stump you? Are you completely I stumped? Think so. Oh, no. All right. Well, Jace is completely stumped. If you can't think of a name, I will go to Antonio, who is your guest. I've yeah. got a name, and this was a big stumbling, stumbling, bumbling fullback, and I, I have no idea where he went. The contract thing is what's stopping me. Because I have no memory of where this guy played afterwards, much less that he got a giant contract to go there. I actually do remember that after, like, you know, hindsight bias, but I was like, oh yeah, I remember when this happened. Uh, fullback, number 34, Ovi Mahaley? Ovi Mahaley! <laughs> <You got it. laughs> Very good. <laughs> the most visceral scream of all time. That's what his that's what his apartment sounded like watching the Ravens game on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have a live camera. Antonio is fired up that he just not, got not, not knock a chair yeah. over here. That's a pull, man. Uh, Ovi Mahaley. Is that even how you pronounce his last name? I, I think Mahaley? So. Ovi Mahaley, he played that, for the Atlanta Falcons. Got a huge oh, deal with the Atlanta that Falcons. Seems like a big mistake yeah. that they made. Yeah, not great. He actually d- well, I say that he made another All Pro team with the Falcons later in his career. So maybe I'm I'm wrong. Wow, that that was that, what a pull, Antonio. Shot. That was awesome. <laughs> that was really the only name I could yeah, come up well. with. Yeah, I, I kind of whittled it down. I and guess. then uh, Sam Gash, but he was way before that. Sam Gash was way before. I'm not even sure he was a fullback. He, he, was, he absolutely was okay. a fullback on okay. the 2000 Baltimore Ravens. Absolutely. Yeah. So. You got uh, Laron McClain. Vont, I mean, Vontae Leach. Come <laughs> yeah. on. He's the number he, he's one. He's too mainstream to make Raven, uh, random Ravens. Vontae Leach. I mean, all Ron, I had to say Ron's is Hammer I want his jersey, and you guys would be like, yeah, it's Vontae Leach. So now, Tim, because I know you love fullbacks, <laughs> yeah. where have you fallen on the uh, the Kyle Juszczyk? I'm sad. Adoration. You were a fan of him as well. <laughs> I he was sort Juice. of a more, like, finesse fullback. Yeah, still. Say. He was a pass catcher. I, I, I'll put it this way. I think Juszczyk, the way they're using him in San Fran, I think it's great. Uh, I miss that... You know, I miss him on the Ravens. He's another classic Raven where we were never going to pay him that amount of money, a la like a C.J. Mosley this offseason. Um, and now our fullback also plays defensive tackle, so sign me up with Patrick <laughs> Ricard. That's it. We may need to uh, have a segment next week where we talk about jerseys and let and we'll have Tim rank his if he had to get a fullback jersey. I could do a fullback. What would be his top five fullback jerseys? To, or just fullbacks, top five fullbacks for you or the jerseys. <laughs> it would just play. have to be Ravens fullbacks, though. Yes. Oh, yeah, I, 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 abs- come on. Yeah. Absolutely. This is pod like a Raven. Yes. All right. Uh, I'm a little too excited about this poll. So let's close the show out here. Uh, any last comments, gentlemen, about uh, this week, about the Ravens? Uh, Bye weeks suck. You know, it, but bye weeks do suck, but this was a good way to go into one. Absolutely. So. Five and two is it feels a whole hell of a lot better than four and three. We'll put it that way. So we will see you next week talking about the matchup against the New England Patriots and fullbacks and fullbacks and more random Ravens. And we'll see what Jace wants to rant about or what's bothering Jace, I should say, next week. Maybe it's not having a Ravens game to, to watch and, and cheer on. So we're going to close out. Please follow us on Twitter at Pod Like a Raven. Please listen and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
please like it, comment on it, subscribe. We need that stuff, and we appreciate it. If you have questions about the show, if you have random ravens to submit, if you have other suggestions for us, please email us at podlikearaven at gmail.com. And we will uh, we will go over your questions and comments and, and throw your name out uh, during the episode. Yeah, first person to email us with <laughs> le- legitimately anything, not to take you too far behind the curtain, we'll get a massive shout-out on Pod Like a Raven. So that's it for Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens. I am Antonio Barbera, signing off for another week of Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.